Well, good morning again. Um, if uh, this is your first time here, uh, or maybe your first time back in a while, or you've been tracking online, but you've uh, missed a couple of weeks, uh, we've been going through this series for the last four weeks called The Storyteller, where we have been examining uh, two things. First, a couple of Jesus' most famous stories or parables uh, that he would tell to teach people around him an important lesson. And then we've also talked about just conceptually storytelling and how beneficial being able to tell a good story and being able to retell biblical narratives in stories is really important and how that helps us spread the message of the gospel. So as a quick review, over the last uh, few weeks, uh, a few weeks ago we started with the parable of the tenants. And so I don't know if you remember this one. It was uh, a bunch of guys who were in a vineyard who were renting the vineyard, who didn't want to give it back up. And so uh, they sort of refused the owner of the vineyard. And, and the lesson there, sort of the bottom line in that story that we were telling, uh, the question that we kind of left with was, what are you holding on to that maybe it's time that you gave back to God? Is it, is it something that, you know, you feel like you uh, are taking ownership in that was provided to you by God that maybe it's time to let go of? Or maybe it was you know, some anger or some bitterness or a, a little bit of feelings towards other people, something that you needed to forgive, something that you needed to let go. Then the next week, we did the parable of the unforgiving servant, which was this guy who was in a lot of debt, had that debt relieved, immediately forgot what it was like to be that way, and then went after somebody else for money that they owned him. And we talked about this, comp uh, this, uh, this concept of empathy fatigue. I don't know if you remember that. We were all sort of together in the last couple of years really struggling with being able to relate to other people and how they're doing because we just feel like we've been doing that for a couple of years and it's just exhausting, right? The week after that, our, our family ministry uh, took care of the service. And when Steve was speaking, he spoke about these three things at the end. He talked about value, values, principles, and character and how our values sort of play into our principles, the things that we believe, and that comes out in our character, the way we act and the way we treat other people and how we sort of are the light in the darkness uh, in the world. And then last week, Amos told the story of Jesus calming the storm, and he asked such a great question. I love that guy. He said, who's in your boat? Who's with you in the storm? Who are you depending on? Who do you call on in moments where you are in trouble. And the theme of across sort of these four weeks is really interesting because it's all about how we act or react around other people, right? How do we do that? Do we have the empathy do we, that we need? Do we let things go? Do we have the forgiveness and the grace that is required? Do our values and our principles in our character come out in a way that is glorifying to Christ? And do we bring a Christ with us where we go and say to other people, Jesus is in my boat. I think that he should be in yours. Can we talk about that too? And so this week, as we approach our final parable of this section, this series, it kind of bookends it all together because today's parable is about a parable called the Good Samaritan. Now, if you've been in church for a little while, this is probably something you heard, you know, in Sunday school once or twice or every year, I don't know. Um, it's a story that we've been over, over and over and over again. 
But the interesting thing about the way that this series is tracked is those first four weeks were, this is how we're called to act around other people. And this week is, who are the other people? (laughs) Who are we actually supposed to be treating the way that we've been called to do? And so as we go through this morning, those are sort of the themes that I would like you to look for. So we're going to jump in, uh, Luke 10, if you have your Bible, starting in verse 25, and here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law, this is in Jewish law, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He, Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with your mind. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So this, this expert in the law has pulled things from a couple of different places to answer this question. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, that's an easy little exchange between this expert in Jewish law and Jesus. And Jesus smartly looks at the guy and says, you know the answer to this question. You're kind of asking me a question about the law. So he turns it back on him. And the conversation could have just ended there. But this guy was kind of trying to get Jesus in a gotcha moment. He was trying to trap trap him. What we know from the commentaries and things that we read is this, this isn't like a Sermon on the Mount or like last week, Jesus on a boat because there's too many people on the beach type of scenario. It's just a small group of people sitting around that Jesus is teaching. And so for this law, this expert in the law to stand up during this time, he was really trying to take command and, and make his presence felt in this moment. And so after this little exchange, he doesn't give up. He says, uh, verse 29 says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And this is a guy who understands the law very well. He knows it. Uh, we've talked a couple times before this law, this 613 laws from the first five books of the Bible that everybody was to uh, follow. We talked about in the very beginning a couple months ago in Acts chapter 15 um, about how this was really tough for new believers and so they, they gave some relief to Gentiles about this. So these are people that really know their stuff and he's, he's trying to get them and he says, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus replies and he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So here's what's happening here. There's, and I've got a map here to show you. Just So this story, just like every story that you read in the Bible, in context, we need to explain a little bit more of it here, but in context, this made sense to them. So you can see Jerusalem there, about middle on the left, and then Jericho on the top right there on the left. Um, and so they are uh, speaking, likely this conversation is happening in Bethany, somewhere in the middle, uh, based on what we come to believe from reading commentaries and figuring this sort of thing out. And so people understand what this journey looks like. It's about a 17-mile journey with a 3,000-foot elevation change through mountains. It's a very, very easy spot, and everybody would understand and know this, for people who wanted to rob or attack you to hide out and be safe because there was a lot of places to do that. So they understand the context under which this story is being told. Also, I would like you to notice 
that Jesus doesn't tell about the person being robbed because that's a given. He talks about the person being beaten and left half dead. And that's the important little nuggets that sometimes we just fly over, but that's a really important little piece of this story as we move forward. Let's continue on. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, when we read this, usually we fly by it, but here's why this is so interesting. A priest would have been uh, somebody who also knew the Jewish laws very, very well. And so we would have had a a Jewish law-abiding priest passing by this person who's been beaten. Now, what's the risk here, if anybody knows, what's the risk to the priest in this moment? Does anybody? Some of you are whispering, that's good, I don't need you to yell, you can whisper, that's fine. Yeah, here's the risk. The risk is, is that if that person who's at the side of the road beaten half dead is completely dead and the priest touches them, they become ceremonially unclean. Now, this is a really interesting piece because what the priest is doing is he's making the decision of do I help this person Or do I risk my own cleanliness? This is sort of the back and forth battle that the priest is having. And and I've I've said this before and I will say it again. Uh, When you get into studying something in order to sort of put it together to try to present an idea, uh, very often it's convicting. And for me, of all the parts of this parable, this is the part that grabbed me the most. Because I am, by nature, at heart, a bit of a centrist. I'm a peacemaker. I'm the person who is an optimist and kind of just wants everybody to get along. And so just like the priest doesn't really want to risk getting his hands dirty to do the right thing, there are moments in my life where I do the same thing. Lauren and I have conversations about this all the time where I will feel very passionate about an issue and she'll go, you really need to say something about that. And I'll go, I know. But then I don't. Because I have that internal fight of if I say something, am I going to make a mess? Am I going to, do I really want to dip my toes in that hot water or do I want to stay safe on the other side of the road? And for me, this is a really convicting area and so I really don't appreciate Jesus putting this in the story. Yes, here it is. Okay. And then it continues in verse 32. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by the other side. So Levites were a tribe descended from Levi. Levi is uh, the third son of 12 of Jacob and Leah. There's a ton of Old Testament history back there. But what's important to know here is that the Levite has the same problem. The same ceremonial cleanliness cleanliness problem that the priest would have before. If I touch him, I become dirty. If I help him, uh, if I don't help him, I'm not being helpful. What do I do? And so the Levite also passes by and doesn't help. Uh, Now, before I get to the next part here, if you've been married for a while or dating somebody or you have a best friend or you have a roommate or you have a brother or you have a sister, you get to know that person well enough that you start to hedge when they tell you a story. 
So they're like three quarters of the way through a story. Lauren and I, we are guilty of this. We do this to each other all the time. One of us will be three quarters of the way through the story and then the other one will go, oh, and then this happens. And you're just like, shut up and let me tell the story. Right? (laughs) I'm sorry. I do that to you all the time. Right? But we all know that feeling. Like you see it coming and so you're like, oh, I kind of want to finish it. I want to be involved. I want to get there. So the people that this story is being told to they know that the third person is going to be Jewish. That's what they know. They go, okay, here comes the hero that's going to save this person. It's going to be somebody who's one of our people. They're going to pick them up. They're going to be whatever. But just like sometimes when we hedge on a story, but then it turns out to take a left turn that we weren't expecting, and we go, oh, that's what happens here. Because this group is expecting for the hero to be a Jewish person, yet that hero becomes a Samaritan. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So, contextually, again, they would understand that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They were not frenemies. They were enemies. They weren't on the same page. They weren't on the same bookshelf. They weren't in the same library. They were not getting along. They were not good friends. They were at odds with each other. And so for a Samaritan, an enemy to all of a sudden emerge as the hero of the story was very jarring for the people that were listening to it. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and we remember from maybe two or three weeks ago that a denarii is a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense they might have. So this Samaritan really takes care of this person who's been beaten on the side of the road. He uses wine, uh, the alcohol in the wine, to disinfect the cuts so the person doesn't get sicker or it doesn't get infected. They use the oil to ease the pain and make the person comfortable. We've got a 17-mile journey with a 3,000-foot elevation change. Sounds like a good time to be riding a donkey. But this guy goes, I need to give up my donkey. I need to make the walk myself because this person needs to ride on the animal more than I do. And then he brings him to this inn, and we fly past this part too. He brings him to the inn, and he puts him up, and he says to the innkeeper, here's two denarii, you know, whatever you need, let us know. And we think, I don't know how you grew up thinking this story, I think like two or three days, he's kind of wiped himself off, and he's fine, and he goes on his way, whatever that looks like. And we're not going to get into the math and the conversions, but two denarii equals two months worth of stay in this inn. It's not an insignificant period of time. That is above and beyond. And he says, if he needs to stay longer, I'll come back. Right? So every step of the way, this Samaritan goes above and beyond for an enemy to make sure that that person is looked after. And then Jesus says in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of robbers? And of course, the, 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 the Jewish teacher of the law, the expert, he has no choice. He replies, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, now go and do likewise. Now, this story is told 
you know, we've heard this story a lot of times. Even, even if you're not a church person, if this is your first time in church, this is your first time listening, or, you know, maybe your first month, but your first time hearing this story kind of talked about from this setting, you've probably heard the phrase Good Samaritan before. Usually we use the term Good Samaritan just generically, like when somebody does something nice for you, right? Like, hey, my car broke down and my friend came to get me. What a Good Samaritan. A little bit out of context, when you were to use that phrase properly, it would mean somebody who had absolutely no business helping you at all, not because they didn't even not know you, but because you were actually enemies, comes alongside and helps you. And this is the impact between this story, right? There's, there's just no business in the Samaritan helping the Jew in this context. There just isn't. But this is what Jesus teaches. He says, who was the actual neighbor? Who was the friend? Who was the person that supported? And this leads to a sort of a culmination of all the things that we've been talking about over the last month, right? Parable of the tenants. What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to some judgment, some malice, some anger, some resentment towards maybe some other people? Um, empathy fatigue. Are you exhausted? We've made the joke a couple times that like 2020 was like, we're all in this together. And 2021 was like, get out of here. I hate you all. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. This is kind of a culture shift that we've seen because we're all so exhausted. We talked about our values and our principles and our character, which sort of shows how we show the world to Jesus. And then we talked about who's in your boat, actually actively living in a way where we don't feel like we're on our own, where we're not trying to do everything ourselves because we remember Jesus is in our boat. And then we get to the question today, well, who is that for? And the answer is, it's for your neighbor. It's for everybody. The empathy, the forgiveness, the patience, the grace, the mercy, the character, the principles, the telling people about Christ. It's not just for the people you get along with. It's not just for the neighbor who put up the same, you know, political sign that you put up or posts the same thing on Facebook that you post or the person at the water cooler that you're excited or not excited to see or whatever that looks like. It's actually for everybody. And that's really difficult right now. It's difficult all the time. But right now, in a time where we've gone through a couple of years where we've seen a little bit more division in our culture and in our friendships and in our family, this is a good reminder of two things. One, that we are capable of loving our neighbors even when we feel like we're enemies because Jesus tells us to. And two, and this is the tough part, even if you don't feel like it, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to do it anyways. That's part of that last part. Who's in your boat? How are we representing Christ in our world? We're doing that by loving our neighbors. By treating people well. By loving the people around us. Whether we get along with them or not or agree with them. Or not. And I'm not sure that the Samaritan and the person who was injured ever became best friends and went out to dinner parties, but there was certainly love and mercy and grace shown in that relationship. And that's what we're called to do. 
as a family of believers. And if you're in this room and you're still working on your faith, you're like, you know, my friend invited me to church and I'm here, but I'm still figuring out and I'm not on the fence yet. So my challenge for you is to look at that friend that invited you or somebody else that you know who is a Christ follower and go, hey, I see that Christians are struggling with this. Why? What's the struggle here? And actually dig into that. And, and we, as Christ followers, need to be vulnerable enough and secure enough in our faith and not so protective over it to be able to go, yeah, this is a struggle and here's why, but here's how I'm working through it in my faith. Because all of a sudden, you're going to be able to tell your story about what Jesus is doing in your life. And yeah, there's bumpy roads. And yeah, sometimes you walk past the person you're supposed to help, but you understand that you're called not to. And every once in a while, we mess up, but that's just part of our faith journey. So don't worry, you can too. We're all in this together. You can be that person for somebody else. And if you're somebody who's figuring their faith out, please feel free to call us on it because that actually helps us grow too. So as we conclude this series, this moment where Jesus tells us all these stories, where we learn about the impact of storytelling, I would just implore you, ask you to just consider all of the things that we've talked about in the last few weeks. What are those parts that God, the Holy Spirit, is tugging on your heart? You know, maybe you're not a Christian and you're still feeling that tug anyways. That's the Holy Spirit too. Saying, hey, there's something more here. There's something different here. It's time to explore it. It's not going to be perfect every day, but let's find a way to love our neighbors well and to be representatives of Jesus in the world, in the places around us, because that's what we're called to do. And we, as we're going to talk about in a minute as we go through uh, communion, and George talks a couple minutes about this, we don't deserve the mercy and the grace and the things that we got from Jesus, but we got them. So let's not be like the, unmerc- or the, uh, the unmerciful servant who forgets what it's like not to have that grace and then won't extend it to other people, who forgets what it's like to be the enemy but then is loved anyways. Let's not lose sight of that stuff as we walk through. We're going to be at a high risk of this in the next few weeks, Right? We're going, back to, we're going back to 10 o'clock because a lot of the COVID restrictions are lifting. Um, at some point, we would look at the news and trends over the course of the next month. We're going to start shedding masks. And there are going to be people that keep them on. And there's going to be people that take them off. And you're going to pass people and you're going to go, oh, why are they doing this? Or shouldn't they stay? Or whatever. And like that's going to be your first. And I'm just going to sit here and go, please fight against that. <laughs> that's not loving each other well. That's just bringing our own ideology first instead of bringing our theology and the love that God calls us to do through other people first. That is not how we are called to live as a group of Christ followers. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for the opportunity that we have to serve you, to worship, to worship freely, Lord. And I just pray as we all struggle with this stuff, Um, that you would just come alongside, that you would remind us that you are with us in the boat, that we are not alone, that we are not supposed to be alone, that we're not supposed to do this by ourselves, that we're supposed to pray, that we're supposed to call out to you, that we need you here with us, Lord. And I just pray that as we struggle through 
the day-to-day on how we're handling being around other people. Um, That you would give us the grace and the mercy and the understanding that we need to love people even when we feel like they are our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen. As I invite George up here to lead us through communion, uh, I would just say that um, we did have the elements on a table in the back there. Uh, If you walked in without them or you feel like you need them, uh, we've got a couple of elders here at the back that are going to be at the door. You can just give them a wave. Uh, I'll go back there too, and you can just kind of look at us and go like this or, or get up and come to the back, and we'll make sure that you have what you need to participate. Thanks.